the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thank you for joining us today for On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rhody Fisher. As a Christian mom for over 40 years and a teacher of the Bible in public schools for 25 years, Rhody will take you on a journey with some of her friends as they share their experiences and testimonies from their walk with Christ. You'll see that you are not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Now, here's your host, Rhody Fisher. Welcome. Listen, we have a guest speaker today, as we have for the last few days, and I'd like to introduce him. Um, Ramon, is he there? I don't see him. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Um, our guest speaker is is um, Carl Tykrook. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, welcome, Carl. Thank you. Thank you, Rhody. It's a pleasure okay. to be with you. I don't hear him. Okay, there we go. All right. Can you hear me now, Rody? I can. Oh, excellent. Well, thank you for letting me be on your program today. I'm excited. And you're coming all the way from Canada. <laughs> a little ways away, yes. Yes, so welcome. Um, Carl, tell us a little bit about yourself so that the um, audience can get to know you. Sure. I'm an author. I'm a researcher, I'm a lecturer on worldview changes, and I've been engaged in this type of work for, oh golly, coming on well over 20 years already, probably closer to 25 years full time, and I've been, uh, uh, my my endeavors in that road, or down that road, to take me to places uh, where most Christians won't go and intersect with, with events, people, organizations, worldviews that are challenging and confronting the Christian worldview. And so my my job is to is to go there, to go to where uh, culture is changing, to where religion is changing. So I attend the Parliament of World Religions. I go to Burning Man. I've been to numerous on the political side, the, the realm of global governance, United Nations events. And uh, so that's my job. My job is to go as an investigator, as a researcher, as an author, as a speaker, on worldview topics, worldview change, and how that is impacting the Christian world. And boy, oh boy, we are living in an age, Rody, when it seems that there are so many conflicting messages, so many conflicting and challenging perspectives uh, colliding with the the understanding, the biblical understanding. And it's imperative that we wrap our heads around what is taking place. And so I'm the author of the book, Game of Gods, the Temple of Man, and the Age of Reenchantment, and pulls all of this together. But that's not how we began. I mean, I'm I'm from Canada, as you alluded to in the beginning of the program. Yeah. And specifically, I'm from the Canadian prairies of Manitoba. I grew up on a grain farm. Uh, I still live in the same region. Uh, I still am connected into the farming community, and uh, my roots are in the country. I I'm not a city person. I. I Give me the bush, give me the wide open skies, give me give me my natural beauty that's around us all the time. And, and you know, Rody, I'm still in that environment, and I love it. I am so thankful for that. I go to places like, you know, big American cities, big Canadian cities, uh, doing research work or doing whatever I have to do. But it's sure nice to come back and uh, see the deer. See, see the coyotes and the fox, and and I mean, if you've been on my Facebook page, you've seen the pictures of the flowers, you've seen the pictures I've been posting of sunsets. Uh, there's a natural beauty to the Canadian prairies, and it's it's something that I don't take for granted. I love it. Now, I do know that you you live on a, a huge acreage. We talked about that earlier, 160 acres. But your parents were farmers, so you're living in that area, and they were farmers. So tell right. us, a little boy, what was your life like? Did you um, go to church? Did your parents introduce you to God? Who was Jesus to you? 
As a boy, I, I grew up in a Christian household. Both of my parents were believers, strong believers. Uh, my father was a farmer. My mother uh, actually was a school teacher for, for a time uh, before I came around. And then when I came around, that kind of ended. And so she was a, a homemaker on the farm, helping my dad. And uh, we attended a church, the Gladstone. Back then, it was a Gladstone Mennonite church. And today, the little village of Gladstone, I call it a village. It's a town of about 800 people. That's where our church is located. It's the same church that I still go to. Um, I've been going to it since I was a child. And it's a, a non-denominational fellowship made up of people who love Jesus, people from Mennonite backgrounds, people from Baptist backgrounds. Um, you know, it's it's a rural area. So it's not like there's a lot of evangelical churches in the, you know, in the region. And so believers will congregate and come together. And, and that has been my home church all my life. Uh, for a short time, I lived in Indiana, in, uh, Indiana doing research and, and uh, writing projects for another author in the U.S. Uh, by the name of Gary Kaw. And uh, we lived there for a short period of time. But my growing up was always in the country, roadie. It was always on the farm. Uh, the expectation was, as a farm boy, that already at an early age, you would get involved in the work. I didn't realize that that's not normal. I mean... For farm kids, that's expected. But if I look back now, I'm going, hmm, would I entrust uh, to a 10-year-old or a 9-year-old some of the work that was entrusted to myself? Well, in some cases, there's a few farms around here that still operate like that. But I remember when I turned 10 years old, uh, that was a big deal. That was, sounds kind of strange, but 10, year, 10 years old was my coming of age year. Dad expected that I'd be able to, to run the, the cultivator, run the tractor, and I did. Uh, he was right teaching me and training me on the combine. When I was 10, Dad gave me basically the keys to the truck. I had the run of all the dirt roads or gravel roads. Uh, I was ray driving before that, but I mean, that's how farm life is. Hey, uh, you start at an early, early age. And so for, for myself, 10 was, was my coming of age year when the expectation was you were no longer really a child. Yes, you did childish things. Absolutely. But you also had to take upon yourself responsibilities that are pretty considerable. And when I think of, of the fact you're running a, you know, a combine at the age of 11 and 12 years old and, it's it's you know it's a it's a massive massive piece of equipment. Uh, right. You have tons and tons of equipment underneath you, with incredible responsibility. With that, we still, Rody. The beautiful thing is, the Canadian and the American plains, of with farms and family farms, there are still people who do that. There are still people who live like that. Cool. It's a it's a wonderful growing up experience. Um, you take it for granted. Yeah. Can you can you share with um, the listeners? how you came to know Christ as your savior. Sure. Um, what happened to your life once you did accept Jesus as your savior? Maybe nothing happened. Maybe you just started reading the word. Um, I, I know what happened, but I, I, I share with the, the listeners um, about that. Absolutely. Um, as a young boy, and as I said earlier, I grew up in a Christian household. As a young boy, uh, I knew I was bad. I knew I did wrong things. Um, my dad spanked me. My mom spanked me. My rear end was warmed up a few times, more than a few times. And so it wasn't, it wasn't a, a hard connection to make from, yeah, there's punishments for my wrongdoing to the point of recognizing I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Mm -hmm. We all are. Uh, the fact that, the, that there was punishment for my actions, my wrong actions, my sinful actions as a young boy it made perfect sense. I believed as a child. I accepted as a child. And then I just grew as a child. I remember sitting on the bed with my mother. I wasn't very old. I probably had already received another spanking. And my dad and I have joked about that since. My mom's already passed away, but my dad and I have joked about it a number of times. And, and it, it was an issue of, yes, training up your child, training up your child in a way that there was an understanding that there are consequences for your behavior. And then the connection from there to, you know, to an understanding of there's consequences for my sin action. There's consequences. Mm -hmm. I, now, I, need, I need a savior. Yeah. Okay. Could you tell me, um, I, I know that when we, um, uh, a few months ago, we were talking about how this little town of yours had like, I don't know, maybe eight or 10 or more lodges of some sort. And and tell me why that was so important as you were an adult looking at different things that was going on in your life as a Christian. Sure. 
uh, our little town had had five lodges. Uh, <laughs> not that many, but yes, <laughs> no, that's all. That's that's fine. Uh, yeah, we had five five lodges in our community. And in fact, in many respects, my my hometown was a Masonic town. It really no longer is. Uh, the lodge has died away. Demographically, it has changed. Demographically, it has died as small, so many small towns uh, ha- have done. And but at that point, and this is in the very early nineties, um, I had taken on a job uh, working for senior citizens in my community, and it was a healthcare, a provincial healthcare program that was community oriented. Uh, I had a board of directors that I had to answer to, and there were, like I said, five lodges in my town: the Masonic Lodge. Well, it sounds to me like a lot. I mean, eight hundred people in this little town and five lodges. It seems like more than churches. Yes, it would have been about, well, yeah, we probably had more lodges, at least in the uh, early 90s, we had more lodges than churches, absolutely. Okay, sorry uh, to interrupt No, that, that's fine, that's fine. And, and, you know, it's something people need to understand that, that in small towns and in big cities, the lodges, for the longest time, especially the Masonic Lodge, really becomes the epicenter of your business community. Your, your, so, you know, this is where the socialites go. Uh, this is, this is where people gravitate to and not, and not necessarily for any nefarious purposes whatsoever. Most folks who join the lodge don't even understand what the lodge entails, what it's about. You go because simply it's what my dad did or my granddaddy did, or I got an invitation. Uh, it's a place I can go play cards and drink some scotch. You know, that kind of idea, that kind of good old boys club mentality. But my little community, like I said, had five lodges, the Masonic Lodge, the Eastern Star, uh, the Elks, the Royal Purples, and the Rebecca's. And and the one that definitely had the most uh, significance in my community was the Masonic Lodge. It was a very strong, had a very strong Masonic presence. So this is, I believe, 1991. And my board of directors, as I said, uh, I had an answer to them. My board of directors were made up of people who all had some connections in, um, either members of the Masonic Lodge or the Eastern Star or, or the Elks. And so I was being pressured to join. Rody, I wasn't interested. I just flat out wasn't interested. Uh, I'd ask, I'd ask them, "What are you about?" Oh, we're about making good men better. So what? Good to uh, me. Yeah, I mean, to me, you know, to be told, uh, you know, we're about making good men better. Well, that assumes I'm good to begin with. <laughs> it, it may make some interesting assumptions uh, right off the bat, and. I thought to myself, well, what do you do? I mean, if I want to be made better, I can, after work, I'll head off to the farm and help dad, you know, for, for the evening kind of thing. So I wasn't interested. I wasn't interested in more meetings. Um, but there was a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure to join the lodge. So finally, two of my board of directors took me out for a supper meeting. And we went through the routine. And we've gone through this routine a few times. Uh, I'd ask what you are about. What are you about? Uh, are you about politics? No. Are you about religion? No. Well, what are you about? We're about making men better. Well, I've heard that same spiel over and over again. Finally, one of my board members said to me, and I think it was, Rody, I think he was trying to alleviate fears that I didn't have. Uh, He said to me, Carl, we're not Satanists. And I went, where did that come from? Why would you even say something like that? The warning bells are going off in my head because I I couldn't equate this. I couldn't compute this. I had zero reason to to suspect something as bizarre in my mind as that. Well, of course you're not. That was immediately what was my, you know, my thought process. But at the same time, I was going, what have you been accused of? Why would you say something like this? It'd be like me coming onto a car dealer's lot, kicking a few tires, not wanting to buy and, uh, you know, or not even really interested in buying, but just you know, checking it out because I'm there. And the car dealer coming up to me the, saying, you know, buy this car because we're not saying this. Well, where does this come from? I had no idea, Rody. It was just a bizarre statement. But let me tell you, that bizarre statement set a, a change of course for myself. At that point, I determined I need to know what you guys are about. Because, I mean, this is my hometown. These are people I know. These are people I respect. Why, why would you venture down that road, as strange as it may be? And so I spent a lot of time. I did not know that there were a few Christian books. This is back in the early 1990s. I didn't know there was a few Christian books on the subject. This is before the internet. Uh, This is before, you know, documentaries or or, or television shows on the subject. I had no no reference point to work with. So I did the only thing I knew. Um, 
which is looking for their reference works, looking for their rituals, looking for their works of philosophy, for their history books, and then pouring through their own material. And, and it bothered me immensely. So Not what because, did you find out? Yeah, what, what was it that really kind of hit me? Um, two things struck me. There's a number of things, but two things of particular importance. First, the concept of religious universalism. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you worship uh, Jesus Christ or Allah or if you are a Hindu or it, it doesn't matter what you are. You all come together around the same altar and worship the great architect of the universe. That's their language. As a Christian, no, sorry. Uh, you're engaging in religious universalism. There is a form of syncretism that comes with this. At that point, on that issue alone, if you're a Christian and involved in the lodge, you need to step away. And then the other side that struck me, and there's a number of things, Rody. Uh, the other, the other component was perfectibility. Uh, even even the the names of some of the rituals uh, would point back to perfection. That the lodge itself is a place where you would become perfected. Uh, some of their own symbolism points to the concept of perfection. So one example is the the stone. It's called the rough ashlar. It's a, a block of stone that's all rough, and it's it's it needs to be worked. And by the time you get through the lodge, by the time you're done the three degrees, and by the time you're done all the ritual work, you're presented in, in essence symbolically as this perfect stone, this cut, perfect, polished, finished stone. Uh, you know, another brick in the wall, so to speak. And, and all through this is this concept of I'm going to be perfected through my work in the lodge. Hmm. Again, the biblical view for the Christian is, no, it's Christ who finishes. It's Christ who perfects. It's not any rituals. It's not obligations. It's not rites. It's not, you know, going through the, the works, the degree work of the lodge. Or for that matter, uh, you know, the, the, for that matter, um, Mormonism or any of the other systems that says man needs to accomplish this through the works of your own hands, through your good works, through your deeds, through your rites and rituals and religious obligations. No, it's Christ and Christ alone. It's either Christ alone or it's Christ plus everything else. Right. Okay, I get that part. That's really interesting. Now, could you tell me, is there a difference between the Freemasons and the Masons or is one just an offshoot of another, or are they just called, um, I, I don't know. Could you explain that to me? Sure. Freemasonry, masonry, the lodge, and being a member of the craft all mean the same thing. Okay. Uh, it, it's, it's interchangeable language within their own environment. So if, if you're, um, say this lodge was a mason lodge, I, I don't really know what they call them. I'm not familiar. I mean, I kind of am, but I'm not. Um, really educated in in that um, field, but would would some of the lodges say Masons, and would some of them say Freemasons? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yep. And, and some of them will have a completely different name. Uh, you know, there's a I, I saw a, a, a lodge in I believe it was Indiana called the Lodge of Perfection. Oh, and it's it, they're Masons. Okay. Yes. Now yep. the other thing that I'd like for you to clear up for me is I didn't realize that it was God related. Um, and so what would be wrong if, and I'm just playing devil, devil's advocate here, what would be wrong about joining the Masons and they, they do a lot of good works? I mean, uh, or the, uh, you know, I think the shrine, Shriners do very similar things. They build hospitals, they take care of people. What would be wrong about joining the Masons to do really good work? And let me just give you an example before you answer that. I, I do know that um, there's a group called, um, um, like, oh, gosh, I'm drawing a blank here. Um, there's a group called uh, the, well, say any group, say even some, something like Habitat for, for Humanity. Um, they're, they're building homes for people. Um, the, the, you know, a lot of groups set themselves apart so that they can do good works and it doesn't involve religion. Now, why, why is the Masons or the lodges such a no, no. Okay. I'm sorry. No problem. Well, first of all, doing good works is fine. You don't have to join any group to do good works. Uh, good works are, 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 you know, they stand on their own. 
it's not about doing good works. Shriners do good works. Sure. Sometimes even the government does good work. Uh, <laughs> it's not, it's not about the question of good work. It's about the question, first of all, the worldview behind it. What, what is the, the worldview and the spiritual expectation? What is it that is being portrayed from the biblical point of view as, you know, theologically, what is being portrayed? That really becomes more the real question. So I'll just give you an example with the Shriners. Um, by the way, not every Mason is a Shriner, but every Shriner is a Mason. You can only join the Shriners once you, once you reach a certain level within Freemasonry, then you can join the Shriners if you so choose. When you join the Shriners, you swear your oath, and it's a blood oath, you swear your oath on the Quran. Uh, the yeah, entire the Quran? Yes, that's what Shriners, Shriner is, uh, has a, an Islamic motif to it. I mean, that's why they have the fez, uh, with this, with the, the, the Islamic symbol of the crescent and the moon, the crescent moon and the sword. Uh, it is a play off of Islam, but you do swear it on the Quran. And, and so, as a Christian, sorry, if you believe yeah. that Jesus Christ is the only way, don't involve yourself in that type of syncretism. Okay. Plain and, and so simple. What are the nations? They, they believe in any God. Any God is great. But do they, do they swear you in on some kind of a book? Or With, is yes. there a theological background? I do know that they have a symbol that has a God eye on it or something. I can't remember, but I, I know if I looked it up. Um, I could I could find it, but are it, they swearing to join the group into by some kind of a book? Uh, yes, the, the the oaths are important, and, and they are. And to me, it's not just simply swearing an oath. This is this is engaging in a form of spiritual contract, and this is one of the reasons why you see in Scripture uh, that you shouldn't be swearing an oath. And, and the oaths being referred to here are oaths that have a spiritual binding nature to it. Okay. And so in, in let's say, in the United States of America, which is predominantly Christian, at least Christian in its, you know, in its, in its mindset, in its, uh, in its ethics, it, it has a Christian cultural context, you would swear your oaths on the Bible. Now, if you were in a uh, an Islamic country, you would swear your oath on the Quran. If you were in India, in a predominantly Hindu community, and you had uh, joined a Masonic lodge, let's say in India, you would be swearing it on, let's say, maybe the Bhagavad Gita or another, uh, you know, part of the, the Vedas. It's not. It doesn't matter. To, in Freemasonry, the Bible, especially, I mean, for for Europe and in North America, that's predominantly what's used when you're swearing on on the on the book. The Bible is called a piece of furniture, and that's literally what it is called. It's it's the furniture of the lodge, and so for the I'm, I'm speaking here specifically for the Christian, the Christian who who all of a sudden wants to to join or who is a member. Most first of all, most people who have joined don't really understand what it's about. They're in fact. Your your first degree is all about recognizing that you need to come into the light, that you're 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 in darkness. Uh, you have a, a hood placed over you. There's a rope around your neck. It's called a cable toe, and there's a, there's an entire elaborate ceremony. There's a blood oath that goes with it. It's a very elaborate ceremony. We we oftentimes with Christian apologetics, you'll look at just things like that. That's wrong in its own sense, you know, in its own way, in its own sense. For me, the real issue is the sense of universalism. The universalism that comes, universalism that says it doesn't matter what you worship or who you worship, as long as as you worship some god, you can worship uh, within the lodge. I'll give you a couple of quotes, just to give you a, a sense of where this goes. And, and this is on the more on the perfection perfection side. These are from Masonic philosophers and scholars within the lodge itself. Now, keep in mind within within the Christian world, our authority is is the Bible. Within the world of Islam, the authority is the Quran. If you're a Mormon, your authority might be, the, you know, it's the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, Doctrine and Covenants, uh, whatever the, the president, the Mormon president has had in terms of a new revelation. But within Freemasonry, there's really no authority. There's constitutions, there are uh, you know, uh, Grand Lodge writings, but there's no real set authority. So you come to it, and you take away from it what you will. Nonetheless, there are still eminent scholars, historians, and thinkers within the Lodge who will describe to you what it means. So here's an example from Manly P. Hall. Man is a god in the making, 
and as in the mythic myths of Egypt, on the potter's wheel he is being molded. When his light shines out to life, to lift and preserve all things, he receives a triple crown of godhood and joins that great throng of master masons who, in their robes of blue and gold, are seeking to dispel the darkness of night with the triple light of the Masonic Lodge. Wow, that's interesting. They call the, you receive godhood. That that in itself would make me run. There's a lot, like Rody. When you go into their own literature, when you take the time to understand their own philosophers, you know, and I, let me back up a little bit. I've had conversations with members of the Masonic Lodge. You'll say, "Well, I don't believe any of that," and this is what I believe because every man is supposed to interpret it as he chooses. Fine, I'll play by those rules. For the average person, the average person who's a part of the lodge, have you written any of the rituals? Have you engaged as a philosopher? Have you been published as a Masonic thinker? No, no. So I will go to those men who your lodge has upheld as great thinkers in the system, as eminent spokespeople, as important members holding national positions, and I'll take what they say, and then I will interpret it through their lens, because that's more important to me than just, you know, Joe, Joe Schmuck on the street, who might be a great guy, uh, he goes to church, he's a Sunday school teacher, all the rest, but he's done nothing in the lodge besides joining the lodge. So here's another example. This is from Henry Clausen, who was... Uh, very high up in the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry. The Scottish Rite teaches its members how to spell God with the right blocks. We teach our initiates. There are available for the mind of man vast spiritual forces, vast spiritual powers. Similarly, we in the Scottish Rite can find in our inner selves a refuge from external distractions and evils. Put your trust in your own inherent capacities. Buddha attained his own enlightenment and said to his followers, be a lamp unto your own feet. Do not seek outside yourself. Interesting. Yes. Here's one that's even a little more raw. Let's put it that way. This is from J.D. Buck. I mean, this is from the 1920s, but back then he was a noted Masonic philosopher on the lecture circuit. It is far more important that men should strive to become Christ than that they should believe that Jesus was Christ. I'm reading sections out of my book here. If the Christ state can be attained by but one human being during the whole evolution of the race, then the evolution of man is a farce, and human perfection an impossibility. Jesus is no less divine, because all men may reach the same divine perfection. And that's taken from J.D. Buck's book, Mystic Masonry and the Greater Mysteries of Antiquity. Wow, that's interesting. Now, I, I want to I take you off a little bit, sure. off of the, the Masons. Um, by pivoting to, I, I was told by a family member, I'll just say that, I don't want to point him out, that he couldn't become a Mason because he was Catholic. I said, why are you a member of the Knights of Columbus? And he said, well, because I can't, you know, the, the Catholicism won't allow me to join that, but we've got this Knights of Columbus thing. Now, let me ask you this. It sounds pretty innocuous. Maybe maybe he's joining the Knights of Columbus because it's just for Catholics, maybe. So what's wrong with that? You know, I don't know really much at all about the Knights of Columbus. I know it's a it's a Catholic-only uh, institution. It's a Catholic-only order. But, but beyond that, oh, and also that there has been a historical clash between Freemasonry and the Catholic Church. There's certainly an historical clash. At the same time, there is has been some historical overlap in some areas as, as well. Uh, I believe it was in the 1980s, early 1980s, late 1970s, the, the Italian P2 Lodge, was a, a Masonic Lodge, was embedded within the Catholic Church. There's some really crazy intrigues that has gone on. But in terms of what the, the Knights of Columbus are in relationship to Freemasonry, I don't have a, a good grasp on the Knights of Columbus. Okay, so let's change the subject then, and let's just go to the other four um, lodges that that were in your town, sure. and why they would be, um, you know, where they would not be a good place to join. Well, for for the other lodge, yes, for the other lodges, like uh, the Eastern Star is the Women's Auxiliary of the Masonic Lodge. And uh, the Women's Auxiliary of the Masonic Lodge has its own initiations. It has its own rituals. Um, 
interestingly, where my office was uh, in my community hall, because I had a, a small office set aside in a, in a community senior set a, senior citizens hall. Uh, every every couple of weeks, the the Eastern Star would set up their. It's called a labyrinth. It's a great big. They had a big throw rug, and I mean it's a huge rug. I helped them carry it out because I mean was, these are the people I would work for. And then help them unroll it, and then I would leave because it's, hey, this is their space. But it was a great big pentagram, and it is. It's, it's the the Eastern Star has uh, this big pentagram, and then it has the Kabbalistic word. Uh, it starts with F, and it goes to the A, and it means, and, and it goes around the, the five corners, the five points. Pardon me of the of the pentagon pentagram, and it spells F A T A L, and it means fair among thousands, altogether lovely. But if you read it, it says fatal. Uh, and that's just an interesting little side note. But again, it, it's it's the women's auxiliary of the Masonic Lodge because m- women can't join the Masonic Lodge. Uh, okay. it, is, it is a men's only uh, organization, and there are philosophical, spiritual kind of reasons for it. I don't want to really get into it. It gets kind of sexual after a while. Um, okay. And- yeah. Oh, go ahead. And I was just going to say, I mean, to, to join to join the Eastern Star, uh, Rody, these are people who are good, meaning people, well-intended folks, upright citizens, people I know, people I love, friends. Um, I, I as a Christian, there there's a problem though in in joining yourself to something that is inherently because it comes out of Freemasonry, it is inherently already problematic with the Christian faith. Why would you do this? Why would you engage? If you want to do good works, there's a hundred other ways to do good works. This is more than just good works. This is forming a bond, a, a, a really a spiritual form of contract that now gives you an identity uh, that, that really at its core runs contrary to the biblical belief. Yeah, interesting. You know, I, I I really am so naive about all of this. I, I not that I've joined a lodge, but I really didn't think it was all that bad. But now you've kind of cleared the air a little well, bit. Well, you know, and it's interesting because the Rebecca's uh, have have songs, and same with the Eastern Star with with they have songs and 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 readings that have Bible passages in them. Uh, there's a lot of Bible references. Uh, you, you see a lot of that, and so I know specifically for the Eastern Star and the Rebecca's, women who have joined because those are women, predominantly women-based uh, lodges. And they're like, no, this is a good Christian institution. I'm like, but but its roots, its roots uh, are, are inside something that is, well, it's antithetical to the biblical faith. I mean, either Jesus perfects and Jesus alone saves, or he doesn't. And right. and, and why are we mixing this as Christians uh, and so I know I know you're, you're going to have some of your viewers and some of your listeners who are going to be going, hmm, um, I need to know more, a little bit more about this, or it's rubbing me hard. You can go to my webpage. I have a webpage called forcingchange.org. There's a, a section of articles. It's, it's open. It's free public material. There's an article there uh, on Freemasonry going into all of this. And, and it was a, an article, a report I pulled together. Uh, because I had a gentleman come to me after one of my public presentations. This is uh, years ago, and I was I was doing a uh, I was doing a presentation in um, I believe it was in the Ozarks. And this this fellow comes to me. I dropped Freemasonry just out of the blue. It wasn't part of my presentation, but I had made some connecting point and had just simply mentioned the lodge. So this fellow comes to to my book table where my wife is working and uh, shows her his his lodge ring and says, I'm a 32nd degree Mason and I need to talk to your husband. And so we ended up having a really good conversation. I didn't go down the road of of the, the rituals, the oaths, none of that. I only focus on two things, universalism and perfectibility. And he went, actually, you're right. I've, I've been in this all my life. I've never thought of it. I need to go back and reread our own material. So I sent him, I wrote a report, I sent him my report, which uh, quotes their own sources, their own eminent scholars and philosophers. And I asked him, gently asked him, can you please verify? Is this out of context? Have I, have I misrepresented? And he was a Christian. He was a, he was a believer. He, can't, he got back to me about six months later, and he says, I've, I've done my homework. I mean, he was high up in the lodge, and he's been in the lodge most of his life. He said, I did my homework. And I've and I've sent my letter of resignation. Uh, I can't be both a Christian and a member of the Masonic Lodge. Okay, so tell me how far back 
this the Masons started. Uh, I, I read somewhere that George Washington was a Mason. Correct. Correct. Officially, yeah. it go, officially, it goes back about 400 years. Um, as you read through their own literature, there will be all kinds of claims going all the way back to King Solomon was a Mason. They'll be making claims that Moses was a Mason, on and on it goes. I mean, it gets kind of convoluted and pretty wild. Um, it is, you know, the gravitating towards looking to, to form an, an authentic, ancient, historical, um, you know, connecting point. But realistically, the lodge itself really only has a 400-year history, and, and it's built off of uh, certainly older traditions. That's that is there. That's understood. Uh, I mean, to go into those older traditions in your show would, would take well take up a lot of time. But just you know, hence to say that that there is a 400 years, uh, a 400-year history of the lodge within. Um, well, basically, it's a worldwide fraternity, but within Europe and North America, uh, Europe first and then North America. Okay, because there are quite a few presidents, if I'm not mistaken, that um, were, were Masons. Right, right. There, there were. Not that they were all Christian, but I, I thought they were. Well, I- and, and this is one of those things where uh, your country and my country to some extent, too, uh, the lodge was there in its founding. The lodge was there in its beginning stages. I mean, if you want to go and explore what that's like, go to Washington D.C. Even the street streets have uh, a lot of the streets have uh, either uh, you know kind of built around Masonic symbolism or, or has a Masonic type of an element to it. There's no no hiding that. In fact, there's been books published on the Masonic architecture of Washington D.C. Very scholarly books on that topic. So, yes, your country is absolutely enmeshed in that history. Your country, like my country, has, has a number of different streams of, of histories. Uh, there is, a, is a, a Christian context, a Christian cultural context. We, we forget how uh, important that was to the moral, ethical, legal foundations of our nation, along with all the problems that go with the histories that we have, because it's nuanced and people do bad things and people do good things. But the, the lodge was there and the lodge still is there. It is slowly a dying institution. The lodge itself has lost a lot of members. It's heyday was really in the forties and the fifties, but yeah, you can go to Washington DC. You can go to the house of the temple, the Scottish Rite house of the temple in Washington DC. The opulence of the place will blow you away. Uh, It is a cathedral in every respect. It is very lavish, very, very rich. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover's, um, office, his historic office is located there because he was a 33rd degree Mason. And after he passed away, there was kind of a, uh, um, a push and pull between the FBI and the Masonic Lodge over who was going to have his his official office and his personal belongings, and that ended up at the House of the Temple. Wow, interesting. I didn't know that either. Now, the, the other thing that I want to kind of focus on right now is that symbol they use. Now, isn't it a compass? Yes, the square and the compass and the letter G in the middle. Okay, the letter G is for God? It, it can have that meaning. Uh, it can also mean geometry. It can mean the generative principle. Uh, there's multiple meanings that are ascribed to it depending on where you are within the lodge or where, where you are within your understanding of, of the layering. And there's a, Rody, a lot of layering within the lodge. And so for the average person seeing the letter G, they'll go, God. You know, they'll be told it's God. This is ironic. Um, I first thought that the letter G meant Gladstone for my home community. Because I grew, I grew up seeing this symbol on the building, you know, one of the buildings, a square, <laughs> compass, letter G. And then when I was in my youth group, I was, I think, 15 years old or 16 years old. We were camping at Lake Metagoshi on the North Dakota, Manitoba border. And in the middle of this lake is an island. And one um, one evening we were, we were paddling our canoes around this island and saw two blue uh, posts or poles and a series of three, five, and seven steps going up into this island. It's a wooded island. And we docked our, our canoes and we walked up and there's symbols inscribed in all the all the uh, steps going up. And we walk in and in the middle of the island is a clearing with an altar, podiums, chairs, and it has this square compass and letter G. And I'm looking at it. Again, I'm 15, 16 years old. I'm naive about these things. I'm looking at it. I'm seeing letter G. I'm going, G, this is what we have in my town of Gladstone. What's Gladstone doing here? Well, of course, it didn't mean that at all. But, I mean, you know, 
you're young. You didn't know. The next day, all the canoes had been taken. So me and a friend, we, we mouth inflated um, a couple of, of uh, floating devices. I think they were just like whatever uh, uh, air mattresses. You know, like, <laughs> and then we doggy paddled halfway across a crazy lake and got seriously sunburned doing it so we could explore the place some more. But yeah, there it was. Out in the middle of, of nowhere was this outdoor Outdoor wow, altar space. So yeah, for me that was my first real contact point. I didn't even know it. Um, but then years later, as I was started to work through what does Freemasonry mean, and what what does its symbols mean? And, and by the way, Rody, this isn't the only area that I work with. This is just something historically mm-hmm. that I've spent a lot of time with. Now I don't hardly touch the topic at all, um, though I do discuss it when when invited to do so. And now, yes, it, it, for the average person, it may mean God. For others, it means geometry. For those deeper in the craft who have an understanding, it means the um, it means the, 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 the principle, the generative principle, the, the power, the spiritual, physical power of copulating, bringing heaven and earth together as one, symbolically having some sexual connotations with it and uh, birthing a, a new reality. That's interesting. I, I, I've, I've seen that um, their symbol in a lot of different places um, and a lot of historical buildings, um, especially you know, some of the bigger buildings. And I, I recognize that as, as being the Mason symbol, but I didn't realize it had such a dark side to it. I guess I'll just say that. You know, um, thank you for enlightening us about that. Now, is there anything you wanted to say about the other lodges that might bring in a different aspect um, rather than the things that we already discussed? Because you brought in the Rebecca's and, and, um, also, um, the the women's Mason group, but there were a couple of there was two other uh, groups that did right. those and talk sure. about the differences that don't align with the Bible. Sure, the the Elks and uh, um, uh, the Royal Purple. And the Royal Purple is the the women's auxiliary of the Elk Lodge, and the Elk Lodge has its birthplace in Freemasonry. It's it's kind of a concordant body, an offshoot, not officially connected, but certainly uh, historically connected. There is uh, similarities in terms of its ritual, similarities in terms in terms of how its its lodge room is laid out. Um, again, the concept of, of you, before you enter, before you become a, a member of this lodge, like, like the other lodges, you are considered to be profane or in darkness and you're now seeking the light of the lodge. That type of, of imagery, that type of, of, uh, of concept is there. You don't see the same kind of writings. You don't see the, the depth of explanation within the Elks as you do within Freemasonry. There's a little bit more of that with the Rebecca's because the Rebecca's is the women's auxiliary of the Oddfellow Lodge. And we didn't have an Oddfellows in our town, not when I was growing up, but we did have one in, in a neighboring community. And again, that also was a Masonic offshoot. The, the Masons have, have splintered off with, uh, not splintered, but have created um, many, many different uh, lodge offshoot concordant bodies. There, there's an entire ecosystem to it. I mean, and I, I'm saying that seriously. It's not just simply one entity there is literally an ecosystem of other lodges and uh, auxiliary groups and concordant bodies and you know the list just goes on and on my real issue is not their existence it's not even um uh, what they don't say because they, they consider themselves to be secretive as secretive society you know a, a secretive society my real issue is the the worldview again going back to that sense of religious universalism perfectibility uh, that you seek light, and this light that you're seeking is really a form of spiritual light that is outside Jesus Christ. And you go through, as, as a member of these lodges, all this, all these rituals, all these symbolic acts to bring that forward without even thinking, usually, about what it is that you're engaged in, because you just do it. Yeah, yeah, I understand. No, I I never joined a lodge, and I, I don't plan to, but I guess I gave them a pass because I didn't really think too much about what they were doing. And I've known a lot of people, um, not a lot. I know two people that belong to um, the Knights of Columbus and I, you know, thought that they were an okay group, but it, it really is food for thought. And I, I appreciate you bringing that up and it really, it strengthened your, 
your biblical view um, that you had. I mean, it, it, when you start getting into research on some of these things and, and, and scrubbing it with the word of God, you see how off base they are. And so that's what you've done. And I really appreciate it. But tomorrow you're going to be on our show again. And I, I think I asked you to talk about a few subjects because I know um, I'm looking at your books behind you and I know that you um, I've, I've known you long enough to know that you are a scholar on some of these subjects. One is Burning Man, which is something that's coming up at the end of August. And I'd like for you to talk about that. Um, and um, Wicca and paganism um, is a couple of things that I want you to also mention. And so, um, and, and globalism. Now, could you just, before you go, just pique the interest of our listeners and just quickly tell us about each one. And you've got three minutes. <laughs> oh, wow, Rody, three minutes. Okay, I'll, give uh, I'll give you five. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm glad you, you, we're going to be talk, tackling some of these topics. Um, globalism is this concept of, of working towards one world politically. I, I have a chapter in my book called The Cult of World Order because essentially that's what it is. It's a political cult, the idea that we save ourselves through our politics and, and primarily our international politics. So many, many moons ago, here's my old credentials when I was going to United Nations meetings. Uh, I bring that into play. That's globalism. Mm-hmm. Burning Man is a, a cultural celebration, you could call it that, a gathering point of, of transformation where we are seeing a convergence of, of experiences, beliefs, worldviews, philosophies, spirituality coming together in a celebratory uh, aspect. Uh, and, and I know you had my friend Bob Worley on uh, mm-hmm. earlier. Bob and I go to Burning Man uh, doing outreach. So we'll be talking a little about that. And, and Burning Man, in many respects, to me, is, is an exciting research and an exciting outreach component because it is the crossroad of so many things happening all at the same time. And people want to talk, and that's really cool. Um, Wicca and paganism. Uh, Wicca is a form of, of paganism. And part of the work I do is to try to understand religious change. Uh, and how that is is then playing out in the culture around us. And so there is an upsurge in paganism, an upsurge in, in Wicca and witchcraft. And I've had the opportunity over the years to attend a number of significant witchcraft events, Wiccan events and pagan events uh, in, for doing research. And when given the occasion, I have conversations with people as well, but it's mostly to do the research. So it's eyes on what's happening. It's boots on the ground. Um, Our perspective is a little bit different because we take the time to actually go where the world is changing. Wow. Thank you so much for um, being out there for the loss. And I'm talking about the total loss when talking about paganism, Satanism, Wicca, all those subjects that you just breached. Now, interestingly enough, with Burning Man, a lot of companies were sending their employees paid vacations to go to Burning Man, which really struck me as strange. Um, I, you know, I I couldn't see them sending them to say um, a a uh, religious retreat, but in essence, that's what they're doing when they send them to Burning Man. And I was horrified at that whole idea but oh, you don't. today yes Rody, good good point uh we all use google you use google eric schmidt the ceo of google the man who really made google what it is today uh, he got his job as ceo uh when the, uh, larry page and others were looking for for a, a ceo he got his job uh or his resume floated to the top because he had burning man on his resume and they, then they took him to burning man to see could he could he get the interconnection, this network of, of flow within the chaos, the seeming chaos of the event? Uh, the founders of, of Google are, are burners through and through. Wow. In fact, okay. we, can, we can go deep into that. And that's, that's a really, really interesting topic. Rody, okay. when, when Bob and I go there, it's, yeah, that, that reality is there. Wow, that, that, is, that is so unreal. But listen, I'd like to take it to the audience right now, and and possibly you've dabbled into before I before I talk to the audience, 
um, when when you're thinking about the lodges, you're really showing these people what the Bible says versus what their belief system is. And and a lot of them may be Christians, and some of them aren't. It's they're just searching for a God, and you present Jesus Christ to them. But tomorrow, just for the listeners' sake, I really would like for you to kind of talk about how to witness to some of these people that we're going to be talking about. So, um, but right now, I'd like to talk to the listeners that have sat through um, an amazing array of things that um, Carl had to say regarding the different lodges and how spiritually it doesn't align with um, the Bible. And if you're one of those people and would like to just give your resignation to them, um, that would be great. But um, Carl mentioned his website, and before I leave, I'd like for him to mention it again. But I'd like to talk to the listener that has, maybe is involved in one of these lodges and have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, and today would be the day. I, I, I want to explain to you that um, there's no place in the Bible that says the sinner's prayer. It's just following Jesus, as Matthew was called by Jesus. Come, he said, follow me. And that's all Jesus is asking you to do follow him. And if you would like to follow him today, just say, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm all in. And that's all you need to say. And for our listeners, if you have invited Jesus into your heart right now by saying you're going to follow him, I'd like for you to call us at Hope Radio or 951-817-0094 or write me at R-A-H Fisher at On the Road with Jesus. And road is just the way you see it on there, R-H-O-D-E. Carl, could you give us some numbers that they can get you at your website and also maybe a phone number? The, the best way to reach me is uh, you can use the, the contact forums at uh, forcingchange.org. That's my website, forcingchange.org. There's articles and research reports that you can avail yourself of. Uh, I also have a website for my book, gameofgods.ca. There's also a contact form there as well. Uh, and then on Facebook and, and Twitter, uh, I'm very active on both platforms, and you can definitely connect with me through that as well. Thank you for joining us today with On the Road with Jesus. We'll see you next time. God bless you, and we love you. Bye for now. Thank you for being here today for On the Road with Jesus with your host, Rody Fisher. Every week, you'll hear experiences and testimonies from her and her friends as they share their journey with Jesus you'll see that you're not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. If you have a question about today's show, email Rody Fisher at rawfisher at ontheroadwithjesus.com spelled R-A-H-F-I-S-H-E-R at ontheroadwithjesus.com or leave a voicemail at 951-817-0094. That's 951-817-0094. On the Road with Jesus is sponsored by Global Expressions Language Project. Learn more at asquaredlamps.org. That's the letter A, squaredlamps.org. Be sure to join us each week at this same time for more On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rody Fisher. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.